BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Third and Central Podcast, the only podcast solely dedicated to the University of Louisville baseball program. This is your host, Matt Sefkovic, joined by your co-host, Aaron Turner. Aaron, we haven't got together in a long time, and since then, there's probably a lot we need to catch up on, but uh, before we jump into everything for tonight, how's everything been going your way? Man, it is super cold. Ice on the ground, but man, I'm so ready for some college baseball. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, this uh, <laughs> this weather we've had, it's pretty nasty. For sure, uh, for sure. We've got an awesome guest coming on tonight that we will talk about here in just a few minutes. But before we do, this episode is going to be pretty much just with the guests we've got coming on. We will have another episode before the season starts as kind of a primer of position breakdowns and things like that, what to expect this season. May talk about the schedule a little bit. So that will be coming out shortly. But we've got a guest coming on tonight that we just we really want to squeeze in before we got the season started because somebody that you're going to be really, really excited about. Also, we're just excited to be back. This is our third season we've been doing this. Matt McGavick and myself started three years ago. Aaron and I took it over last year, and we will be running it again for our third year. And what I think is quite possibly one of the most important baseball seasons in the history of Louisville baseball, not because we're looking for a national championship or a birth to the College World Series. We are, but I think it goes a little deeper than that. I think college baseball is starting to pick up a lot of momentum. Momentum It has over the past couple of years. And Louisville, it's starting to pick up more and more as we have more success. But I think right now, in the time that we're in, where the basketball team struggling, football team, they're high right now because Brahms coming into town. You know, women's basketball team isn't having the year everybody anticipated them to have. That's for another podcast. We're not going to get into all that stuff. But all that to be said, Louisville fans are hungrier right now than they've ever been. 
And I think if this baseball team can come out and put an exciting product on the field, which Dan McDonald typically does, if they can score a lot of runs and win a lot of games, I'm really hoping that this is the year that Louisville baseball fans will really come to the stadium and come to Jim Patterson and support these guys and see how far this season they can go. No, I, I 100% agree with that. And I, you know, we'll dive into it on next week's podcast before the season really gets underway, but I am super excited for this team. You know, I think, you know, not to set expectations too high this year, but I really do think that this is a year of Omaha or bust. We do have that type of product on the team and, or on the field. And I really hope that the people come out and support it because this team definitely deserves it. Yeah. And, you know, coach McDonald talked a lot um, after last season, heading into this season that last year's roster kind of reset the standard of Louisville baseball, getting back to a super regional after missing the NCAA tournament back in 2021 and 2020 was canceled due to COVID. So, you know, last year reset the standard. And I think this is the team that has the potentially to take that step forward. So, that's what we have to look forward to this year. We're not going to dive a whole lot into that because I do want to get us ready for our guests we're having on. We've had Coach McDonald on. We've had six players, one that has made their MLB debut. That is surely going to increase. A lot of these guys are early on in their career, so they haven't had the opportunity yet, but I think that number will uh, jump up. We've had Dale and Nile, prospect from Trinity, and we've had one me- media member, Jamie Tessoff, uh, scouting director from PBR, now we're going to have on the voice of the Cardinals, Sean Moth, who everybody has become accustomed to and love and his one-liners that he's got in the booth. We're super excited about having Sean on. He's an awesome guy. Um, he's, you know, it's going to be very entertaining. So, um, Aaron, what are your thoughts about Sean? Man, I love Sean. You know, you know growing up as a, a Louisville fan, and especially in St. Louis, because I kind of get to go to a ton of games, maybe one or two games a year, you know, Sean Moth was, you know, I, I listen to him pretty much every game. So I'm, I'm super excited to have him on and, and hear what he has to say. Yeah. He, he's seen a, he's seen a lot of wins through the baseball program. And like I said, his one liners up in the booth and the way that he does it by himself. And that's something we'll talk to him about here in a little bit when he comes on. Um, I, I think it'd be very challenging to do, but Sean wouldn't say this. I'm not going to say it while he's on because he probably wouldn't agree, but I think Sean, if you listen to a lot of college baseball around the country, it doesn't get any better than Sean Moth. And he wouldn't want to say that because those are his colleagues around the country and other universities, but I can say it. There's nobody better on radio when it comes to college baseball than him. So just super excited about having him on and uh, what he's going to have to say for you guys. And we are now joined by the voice of the Cardinals, Sean Moth. Sean, I uh, just want to take a minute to thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Um, before we get started, just how's everything going? I know we're only a couple weeks away from baseball season, but uh, what's what's been going on your way? Everything's going well. You know, I, I started a new full-time job beginning of the year, so uh, getting out of the freelance life. Well, I'm still in the freelance life, but not full-time. And so it's been uh, it's been a fun new adventure. Nothing like a career reboot at the age of 52, but here we are. And uh, luckily, they were kind enough to allow the flexibility for me to continue to do baseball. So I'm excited for that and excited to talk a little baseball with you, Matt and Aaron. And I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, thank you. And uh, I think myself and Aaron, I can probably speak for the rest of the fans. We're, we're glad that they're letting you do some baseball this year as well, because I don't think Louisville baseball 
would be the same without your voice up in the booth. So uh, whoever well, you're I, working for, thank the, I thank them. <laughs> I will let Isco know. And uh, <laughs> as much as I appreciate that, I'm sure if Dan McDonald left, it'd probably be a bigger loss. So let's uh, let's uh, make sure we keep that dude and we should be good. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go ahead and jump right in, Sean. Uh, this time of the year, you know, people start to transition over into – their minds are thinking about baseball, especially this year, because basketball is not going the way we typically want it to go. I feel like the fan engagement, I know I've, I've had a lot more engagement just on Twitter, people asking me questions here and there. What are your thoughts on the team? I know, you know, offensively, this team looks like they're going to be pretty stout, got a lot of guys returning. What are your thoughts on the 2023 roster? Well, as I start, I'll warn you that I have three orange tabbies and any one of them may join us at any moment now as one tries to not to take away from your uh, focus there. But, you know, when you look at the team, I, I begin with the fact that since Dan McDonald arrived with Roger Williams in 2007, the, the expectation level has been set extremely high and everybody's aware of that. But I think what I've appreciated about Dan and Raj, and now with Eric Snyder and Adam Brabel contributing, and of course, Brian Mundorf, the director of ops, the kind of the OG of the staff is uh, the expectations can be set in a way where you can almost expect without pressure that the guys that have had a year or two under their belts are going to get better. And so that's how I always try to look at things. And so when you look, you know, when you look at a guy like Jack Payton, who's getting some All-American nods, you know, he hit 350. He hit 23 doubles. You know, the OPS was up around 930. You know, this is a guy that, that clearly has the hit tool. And, you know, the catching is coming along. I think he made great strides. And that's a lot of pressure following <laughs> Dalton Rushing and Will Smith and some of the, the catchers we've had. Uh, and then you look at a guy like Christian Napchik. You know, th those are kind of the obvious guys. Nap was hurt for a good stretch of the year last year, missed about 10 games, but he still hit 346. One of the toughest guys to strike out. His strikeout to walk ratio is off the charts. Mm -hmm. Those those are the two obvious guys. And while we're going to lose about 80 of our 95 home runs with some pretty power heavy bats, you look at the Logan Beards and, you know, the the, the guys that maybe didn't play as much. I, I don't know how Isaac Humphrey got ignored, not just freshman All-American, but ACC All-Freshman. The guy you know, he hit over 320 in the regular season. And when you look at what he did in the ACC, I don't know that there were many better in the league in terms of batting average and conference play. And so I think he was robbed of any potential honors. And uh, that three-headed monster, those red shirts with JT Benson, offensively, you know, if your expectation bar is that all of those guys are going to get a little better, then you're feeling pretty good about the offense. And that's not taking into account the number three recruiting class in the country and I'm sure we'll get into it later in the cast, but there, there's a hidden gem, uh, a Juco kid that I think fans are going to really appreciate as this season moves along. Sean, with your, uh, your deep ties to Colorado here, you on, you on a personal level. Oh, uh, how, how did you end up at, at Louisville? What's that story like? Well, it's, it's a pretty simple one in terms of connecting the dots. I uh, worked uh, I, I grew up in Fort Collins, Colorado, went to college for a couple of years in L.A. because I was 17 and I could go to L.A. to college. But uh, after a couple of years, I kind of wanted to be closer to home, wasn't in love with the place I was at. So I finished up at Colorado State, which is in my hometown, uh, a little bit north of Denver. And while I was there, I, I just started to work at the, the campus radio station and then quickly at the flagship station. 
and through being involved with the uh, the football broadcast, the men's basketball broadcast, and then actually doing the first ever women's basketball and volleyball broadcast on the radio at Colorado State, I got to know Tom Jurich pretty well. And so when Tom took the AD job at Louisville, it was a little over uh, a little over a year's time that he he gave a call to me. And in the meantime, I'd had the opportunity to to do some public address at Colorado State. And then more importantly, I was able to jump in on the Colorado Avalanche and the Denver Nuggets. And so I had a good relationship with Tom. And uh, he ultimately knew that uh, as John Tong was going to move on, he wanted somebody, uh, maybe a little bit of a change up. And um, he called me and I was, I was flattered. I was honored. I was a little floored. I'd never been to the state of Kentucky and uh, didn't know where Louisville was. I knew a lot about it because I grew up as a sports fan. So I knew about the Kentucky Derby. And I, uh, I remember Dr. Duncan Stein and the 80 championship team very vividly, even though I was a Colorado kid. So it was too good to pass up. And that uh, evolved into a full-time position uh, as a sports information director with baseball and women's basketball. Uh, obviously did PA for football, men's, women's basketball and volleyball. And that quickly uh, somehow put me on the radio again, which was always kind of my first love. I, I love doing PA, but I've always loved radio more because there's just a lot more to it. You know, there's a lot more research. Uh, not that PA announcers aren't talented and demanding job and add to an event, but I think there's a, there's a little more flavor, a little more nuance to uh, to radio. So that's how I got from Colorado to Louisville. And this is, I think, year number 24. I don't know. I'm starting to lose track. <laughs> and I would say this little bit of snow and ice that we had that shut down the city. <laughs> that's nothing to you, but you've seen in Colorado, right? Well, you know, what's funny. We, we didn't get a lot of freezing rain and sleet. So the mm-hmm. ice is definitely real. But I, what I will say is no offense to Louisvilleans who I've grown to love. I, I don't like driving with them on the roads or with the <laughs> people that are ill prepared to deal with them. And that's to no fault of their own. You know, you just, you pour resources into what's important. And when you only get a couple storms a year, you're just, you're not going to be all over that. So I, uh, I don't mind the delay because that'll just let the <laughs> bulk of the traffic move through and then I can have a nice leisurely drive. But yeah, this was, this was, wasn't even a skiff uh, for me. <laughs> you, you talked a little bit uh, a minute ago about some of the sports maybe you've done on your own and college baseball is unique in many different ways one of them is radio broadcast it in college it's just yourself what what are the what's what are the challenges maybe what do you enjoy about calling a game by yourself and you know if you had it your way would you rather have a partner or do you, do you enjoy just being up there you know I've I've had three different partners over the years uh briefly Mark Napek a former pitcher for the cards back in the early 90s back in the uh Parkway Field days did a couple of games with me, uh, great voice, great knowledge of the game, very well-spoken, just a good dude. Really enjoyed having him on. Matt Roberts, who played at Manual and then UNC Asheville. Uh, he and I did some games for a couple seasons there when we first moved into Patterson. And uh, ironically, I got Mark Jurich in the booth for a game or two, but I don't think it was his cup of tea. So I've worked with a partner, obviously doing radio on high school football and basketball, women's basketball, men's basketball at Colorado State and uh, a pretty good chunk of TV games for whether it be the old Insight 2 or Spectrum or Fox, DRB, WHAS. I've done a lot of games and I've had a lot of partners. And there's always a a give and take and getting to know 
you know, their, their feel and their, the cats make an appearance there over my shoulder. I apologize, but uh, you know, it's, it, it, it takes them getting used to. And so I adjusted well to having their insight. And uh, I think they add a lot to the broadcast, especially because they played, but as I got to do it by myself, uh, selfishly, it was 100% on my own terms. And, and I didn't play baseball. Uh, I actually didn't see a college baseball game in person until I worked a game in 1990 or 2000 at Louisville, uh, Colorado State got rid of the program when I was growing up. So the college game, while I used to watch the College World Series, because I was a hardcore sports fan, the college game was relatively new to me. But, um, you know, I, I think the, the grassroots of just doing a few games, then just doing home games, made it very demanding to get a second person in the booth and financially the resources were also a bit challenging because I wasn't always uh you know living in uh in Lake Forest based on what I got paid to do baseball games so it uh I'm I'm taken care of just fine no complaints there but uh you know the resources weren't always there to devote and it was you know it's 56 regular season games when February 17th rolls around We'll go Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every week until maybe July 1. And so to get somebody to have that kind of a commitment was difficult. To get somebody who was traveling with the team already as the sports information director, it was a lot easier to do. So I love doing it alone. If uh, Chris Burke decided he wanted to quit the ESPN stuff and just do Louisville baseball on the radio with me, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I love listening to Burke. He's just so insightful, and he's he's one of the smartest brightest baseball college baseball mind well all the baseball minds i think in the game today no question he 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 does so much for the game and i i'm not a huge carl ravich fan i wish they would let mike monaco and kevin hart and some of these guys that do college baseball all year long do the college world series it's kind of secretly the timing of the championship game with Ole miss that monaco got to do it brought me a lot of joy because he just he does such a good job you know, I think I can speak for everybody too. You know, people who listen to your broadcast, I think it's safe to say that in a way, Twitter is kind of your partner too. So, well, that's, that, and that's it, a great a observation. No, that's a great observation. I, I appreciate the compliment. But, you know, when I started doing games back dating myself, you know, this, I, I started in the, the early to mid 90s on the radio. You know, you'd pack up the radio equipment, you'd, I'd go to French Field in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I'd do my alma mater, Rocky Mountain High School, taking on Greeley West. And you'd do the game and you'd have a partner maybe that was different every other week. And then you'd pack up the equipment and you'd go home and I'd call my parents and they listened. And I'd talk to my girlfriend, fiance, wife, wherever the status of that relationship was. And she listened, but that was it. It, it was, you know, you hoped people listen. You didn't get a lot of feedback. You know, the town's about 100, 120,000 people. And it just wasn't something that you, you got feedback on now. You know, I, 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 like you, you said, I can reach out on Twitter and say, Hey, who's listening. I can ask questions. I can encourage fans to ask me questions. I can bring up really stupid stuff. Like what are there more of wheels or doors? And, and I can get that feedback and it's become interactive. And so the, the fact that social media can make radio interactive mm-hmm. makes it a lot of fun. And when there are games that are getting a little long or getting a little boring, you know, then, then it's fun to be able to bring that in. And I am so grateful for all of the listeners, but those that are willing to interact on Twitter, give it a little extra flavor. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun to listen to. So kind of switching gears a bit, we've talked a lot about the weather today and certainly there have been some Louisville games with some interesting weather and 
one definitely famous one last year. Um, it's one of the craziest, you know, games that you've ever called with just some wild circumstances that you couldn't believe happened. You know what's ironic is probably two of the top five happened last year. You know, you guys might recall we had a bomb scare against mm-hmm. North Carolina. Yeah. And we we initially packed up and went down the right field line and stood around. They said, you have to leave the premises. Mm -hmm. So we stood outside the gate. They said, you have to leave the parking lot. So we went under the viaduct and stood between the dumpster and the railroad tracks at Kroger. And when I say we, I mean the entire staff, the coaching staff and the uniformed players. We all just stood over there and it was a good hour and a half in the sun, Mm -hmm. just talking about nonsense. And I'm not going to lie. I was a little uneasy. You know, most bomb scares don't result in anything because it's usually just a hoax, but it was, it was kind of disconcerting. And then to go back in the stadium and finish up and somehow pull off a miraculous win, it was a wild one. And that Michigan snow game was, I usually don't complain a whole lot on broadcasts. I was complaining on that one because they just got ridiculous. I mean, they forget me seeing the baseball. They had, they had some balls to the outfield. The outfielders didn't see. And at that point, it's just, it's dangerous. So, uh, you know, we, we got some stubborn coaches that wanted to get the game in and, It'll be interesting now because Eric Backage has moved from Michigan to Clemson, so we don't lose out on Coach Backage. But those are definitely two of them outside of baseball. I'll never forget the Elite Eight soccer match I did on the uh, web stream between UCLA and Louisville to go to the Final Four in an absolute blizzard. It was just a blast. Um, maybe the other circumstantial game that I don't like to bring up, but I will for the sake of the podcast, is we were playing at TCU in the old uh, Conference USA days, and they had a pretty good program, beautiful field, Lupton Field had just opened, and this was 04, 05, or 06, I can't remember which, but we lost 30-2, to two, and it was a solo web broadcast, and it got to a point where there was no Twitter, there was no interaction, it was just me droning on about the single worst performance I've ever seen by any team. <laughs> including the uh, Alabama A&M games that we played. It was just, and, and the crazy thing is, is we won one of the games in the series. It's not like we were that outmatched. It's just the planets just aligned for us to just take a whooping that night. And it was the ultimate, sometimes you're the bug, sometimes you're the windshield. And man, they were a super reinforced plexiglass windshield. And uh, that was a mess, but those are definitely a few, but last year was, Man, last year had some challenges. We played the tie at Wake Forest. You know, mm-hmm. you just, you never know. Hey, I'm, I'm glad that, that you, uh, go ahead, Aaron. I'm glad that you brought uh, last year up because I, I wrote that question down with those games in mind. So thank you hit it right there. Crazy. I'll never forget that Alabama A&M series. I remember oh. I came up for one of those games and I stayed for a handful of innings and I was like, it, it, this isn't just fun. You know, this isn't good baseball. I, I can't stay around here and watch this much longer. You know, you had guys up on the mound throwing the ball 72 mile an hour. It, it's like batting practice. Well, and it's tough because, you know, the people complaining about the third full-time assistant in college baseball, there's definitely a lot to be said for what that would do to help the game. But, you know, baseball as it is has 11.7 scholarships for 35-man roster. And you all but can't give a guy full ride scholarships. And so you're trying to spread out that money to 35 guys. Those are programs that are funded. 
you know, we have two well-paid full-time assistants and a volunteer assistant that through camps is taken care of very well. Mm -hmm. Some of these other programs have a head coach and an assistant coach and they don't make any money and they don't have anywhere near 11.7 scholarships, let alone a facility, let alone uniform deals. So man, it, it, it can be really tough. And it's, it, it, it kind of sheds a, a glaring light on where some of these programs are just so underfunded that it's, it's disappointing in many cases. Mm -hmm. And, and the HBCUs in some cases are, are a victim to a lot of those. And, you know, sadly, you wonder what kind of impact that has on, on African-Americans playing the game of baseball in some cases, because, man, there's a lot of talent out there. And if you fund these programs, I think we saw Deion Sanders did some really impressive things mm -hmm. on the football field. So it, it was definitely tough at times to watch, but more often than not, luckily, the schedule includes some pretty decent competition. I, I may be eating my words as we open with Bucknell. Who knows? <laughs> well, I, you know, I think we're making some headway with a third paid assistant. And I, I saw Kendall Rogers posted the other day that he he didn't post which team specifically. And I, I you know, I'm sure we'll get into they'll get into that later. But some of the uh, Schools have basically said, we just don't, even if they do pass it and we're allowed to pay a third assistant, we, we just don't have the money to do it. So we can't participate in that. Well, and I think what the fear is, is that if it doesn't happen, then a lot of third assistants are going to go take other jobs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it then it can work in the other way where the second assistant at Eastern Michigan now can make just as much, if not more money as a third assistant at Louisville, mm -hmm. are they going to lose a coach? So, you know, there, there's definitely some, some push back and forth and some give and take, uh, you know, I think ultimately you want to see some equity in, in a lot of other sports and make sure that, you know, especially from a title nine standpoint that we're yeah. sure that softball is being funded, you know, <laughs> when it comes to sports, money always talks and the ratings don't lie. College softball is more popular on ESPN than college baseball. Crazy. So, uh, yeah. So it's it's interesting to kind of follow those trends. And Aaron was talking about you know the craziest circumstances that you've called a game in. Flip the script on that a little bit. What's what's maybe your favorite call that you've ever made? I guess baseball related. Um, I know there's a big one last year that comes to mind for me. I, uh, but you know, is there a bigger one for you? The time that you've been here. I, I don't. I don't know that there's been a there's there really hasn't been a bigger moment. Yeah. You know, people ask if that's the biggest home run I've ever called. Well, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know which one could be bigger. I mean, it basically won a regional in a regional championship win or die game. Mm -hmm. Now we, we came rising out of the ashes for the second time in four years and we don't win the game the season's over. They mm -hmm. don't win the game the season's over. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's easy to forget the Levi Usher that preceded it because that was just as big, mm -hmm. but you know, the, the at bat, you know, sometimes it's fun to get that first pitch. Uh, I know that there was a, this is probably before you guys really were paying a lot of attention, but in 04, we went down to USF on the final weekend of the regular season and we had to sweep them to get to the conference tournament. And the first game we didn't have coach Prado or coach Mundorf because one was at a graduation and the other just had a baby. So we had two coaches. One was part-time. And we found a way to win. USF was a decent team. The irony was, is if USF won one of those games, they were the eighth seed in the tournament. So we game two, Coach Mundorf makes it. So we got an extra coach. Mark Jurich hits a light tower home run, and we get another win. So Sunday roll, in this case it was Saturday, I guess, rolls around. 
and the full complement of coaches are there. Coach Prado's there. We're down seven to one. And it just like they're doing senior day. And they, they, I felt like they had 14 seniors and all of them were like all Americans. Like it was ridiculous. They just kept rolling through honoring these guys between innings. And we're just getting hammered. And we know our season's pretty much ending. And then the ninth inning comes around. And we get a base hit, get a guy pinch hitting. He gets a base hit. Mark Jurich sets the school record for doubles. All of a sudden, oh, there's an error. And in that case, it was Logan Johnson hitting a first pitch three-run home run to take mm-hmm. a 9-7 lead to cap an eight-run rally. And at the time, that was probably as big a home run, but that was to be eighth place in the in the conference. And so, you know, it's kind of relative. Cam Masterman's shot last year had a lot of weight to it. Before that, I mean, it was a thrill to call any home run at Rosenblatt. And I was yeah. lucky that Chris Dominguez hit a couple and Logan Johnson hit a World Series record four and... Daniel Burton chipped in one. I mean, it was a it was a blast. Uh, the walk off against Mississippi State was a, a fun a fun moment. And uh, you know, Aaron, I thought of one more. I don't know how well you guys remember the windstorm that hit Louisville, but I was on that same rooftop at Cardinal Park doing a soccer match during the windstorm. And there was one moment where the wind was blowing from the south, and the goalie in the the goal to our left, the north goal, made a goal kick. And it kind of sailed in the air and it got to about midfield and it got blown 20 yards behind the net. And (laughs) we didn't realize what a natural disaster the windstorm turned into, but we're trying to not get blown off the rooftop. Meanwhile, there used to be a car wash up on the corner by the gas station. The roof of that blew off and rolled into the field below. And, you know, at the time we're like, well, it's really windy. And then I could barely get home because of the power lines and everything else. So I had no idea that it was that significant, but, that was definitely adventure too, but the home run call, I mean, yeah, it was, it was dramatic. It was exciting. It was fun. I think the only way it could have been any more picture perfect is if it had been a walk-off, but I mean, you got a Louisville kid, late innings, regional championship. I mean, it was epic. Definitely my all-time favorite call. And for me, it's not even close. You know, I, I go back and watch that several times and, it gives me goosebumps every time I, I hear it with your call. I, I will say that. So. Well, I tell people this all the time. If I did radio at Bucknell, people wouldn't know this stuff. But, you mm-hmm. know, I, I've had the luxury of riding the coattails of a pretty damn good program for for 20 some years and especially the last 16 and then hopefully a 17th this year. I mean, I've I've been dragged to five World Series in Omaha, and it's not because I'm one of the top eight broadcasters in the country. It's because I work for one of the top eight teams in the country. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm very blessed. So, so far you've had a pretty storied career. You know, you've done, you've done a lot with, with U of L and, and, you know, other sports too, outside of baseball. Do you have a bucket list of anything that you would like to call uh, Louisville baseball outside Louisville baseball, anything at all that you would like to call? I, I wouldn't shy away from getting back to the NHL and the Colorado avalanche. You know, I, if, if I could go back home, uh, I would definitely give that some thought. I had an opportunity to, to be the stadium voice, PA voice of the Colorado Rockies. Uh, but it just wasn't the timing wasn't right because of what was going on here in Louisville. And financially, it just wasn't ideal. But I, I feel confident that I would have at the very least been a finalist for that job. But I didn't pursue it any further. Uh, I honestly bucket list wise, I would just love to see the Frozen Four as a hockey fan. And I would love to go to the Beanpot tournament in Boston, which is a a hockey tournament, which features Harvard, Boston University, Boston College, and Northeastern. It's an annual event. Um, 
there is a bean pot baseball round robin. And in addition to that, there's always an ALS game that Boston College hosts at Fenway. I wouldn't hate calling a game at Fenway. You know, we had a game at uh, Great American with the, mm-hmm. the, the Bearcats and I got to call that. So it'd be fun to be at a big league park. But uh, yeah, I don't, you know, the, the PA Mike, I've kind of hung up, you know, I've said my last three and uh, I, I don't outside of maybe just working for the abs again, I'm, I'm pretty content. Uh, I would like to have the final out or the final walk-off of a national championship for the baseball team. And you never know, we could be talking a year from now about how sweet that was. If that happens, we'll definitely have you back on and we'll, uh, we can all relive that together. So yeah. hopefully that's the case. <laughs> that would um, be awesome. The one cool thing I think about having a job like you have is you get to travel around and see a lot of cool towns and go to a lot of really neat places as a Louisville fan, or I guess not even a Louisville fan, but if you were to travel and watch this team on the road, where are some places that you've been in conference that maybe fans should put on their bucket list of a place that they should visit? You know, Matt, I've been so blessed as a Colorado kid. I I had family in Arizona. I had family in Oregon, friends in Washington, uh, extensive uh, in-laws in in California and, and family in Montana, vacation in Wyoming. So pretty much west of the Mississippi, I'd been everywhere. But like I said, I hadn't been to Louisville before I moved here. Not only did I get to come to Louisville, but Conference USA, I got to see North Carolina by going to Charlotte, Birmingham, Hattiesburg, New Orleans. You know, I got to see a whole new part of the country for me. And in Florida, I'd only been once or twice. And then we go to the Big East. And all of a sudden, I'm into some other places I've never been before, places I've only been once. And then we go to the ACC. And so I've been to all but seven states um, and Alaska and Hawaii are two of them. So I've been blessed to go a lot of places. Um, North Carolina is a beautiful ballpark. Bostromer <laughs> Stadium is gorgeous. The campus is gorgeous. Uh, you know, Duke's fun because you're at Durham ballpark. The conference tournament when it's in Charlotte is just a gorgeous venue. Uh, Clemson has a beautiful stadium. Uh, the fans at Florida State, if they kind of get back, the animals in Section B have been quieted a little bit by their frustration, but Tallahassee's a great venue. Uh, there, there are a lot of great places as far as play. Well, and I'll tell you what, Texas A&M was facility-wise just jaw-dropping. Uh, for me personally, um, and I didn't get a great series at Ole Miss. I've only been once, but Swayze's a beautiful ballpark, and the, the atmosphere when it's kicking is good. I really would love to go see Coach Lamonis and, and see a game yeah. or do a game at Duty Noble Field, Mississippi State. And I'd also like to go to the bomb. I, I keep secretly hoping we get paired up in a regional or a super with Arkansas because I think it would be fun to go there. And coincidentally, that's one of the seven states I've never been to. So uh, those are some of the some of the highlights. But from a from a league standpoint, I'll tell you one that's really underrated. The stadium's not great, but the city is just kind of cool. And that's Pittsburgh. I really have had a good time going to Pittsburgh. And when you drive to Pittsburgh, you pop out of that tunnel and that reveal of that three rivers area with the ballpark and PNC park and the, the football stadium, Heinz field, man, it's pretty cool. You know, I will say you listed a lot of sec stadiums and they're towards the end. And yeah. I, I can't help, but to be jealous when I watch them on TV, just the atmosphere that they have. And, you know, being at A&M last year in the super regional and the, you know, ball five, ball six, you know, that oh, yeah. just is as intimidating as that would be on the mound. I, I just love the passion and the history that they have down there in the sec. And, um, you know, the way they've just packed those stadiums, you know, to get 
14, 15,000 people into a, a college baseball stadium. I mean, that is just insane. I've seen 7,000 at Jim Patterson Stadium, and yeah. as tight as it is, it, it it was loud. It was packed. It was, you know, super exciting, but double that. I just can't imagine. Well, and with all due respect to the SEC, uh, there's not always a lot to do in Starkville, <laughs> Oxford. I mean, if outside of Vanderbilt and to an extent Lexington, yeah. every SEC city there's not much going on there. And so to draw a crowd like, you know, Knoxville's starting to push, you know, that's a, there's a little more going on. But, you know, we talk about Louisville, got a million people. There's a lot of things to do. And so as much as I would love to have 6,000 every game, I get it. Um, and I think some of the draw in Fayetteville and some of these small towns has a lot to do with the fact that, the, you know, we talk about being the only ticket in town. They are the only <laughs> ticket in town. You're right. Yep. We just talked about traveling, going to see new places in the country. And you've certainly, you know, you've been blessed to to see a lot of that. And also, I think it's really cool to see the amount of players and the amount of talent that have come through the university and your tenure here as well. And, you know, firsthand, I run the alumni account following 53 professionals can be really hard at times, you know, but that's like the, the standard of baseball that we have at Louisville. Do you have any personal favorite players that you have that have come through Louisville in your time here? Man, that's that's tough. I mean, my my first few years, we uh, we recruited Ontario relatively hard and had uh, had three or four Canadian kids on the team. And Mike Tisdale was one of those. He was a pitcher on that 02 regional team who came back for the uh, reunion. He and the third baseman, Ryan McKinnon, and I played in a street hockey tournament on 4th Street uh, back in the day with three field hockey players from Louisville. So I always enjoyed talking and playing hockey with Tizzy. Uh, I mean, so many. Nick Haley, such a good kid. Uh, Isaiah Howes will always have a soft place in my heart. He was my son's favorite player and just a just a great kid that's had some tough battles, but uh he is, uh, he's got a heart of gold and, and man, what a, you look at his stats from that 07 season and I don't care what bat you're swinging. That was legit. One of his, a, a number of his team, like that whole team, like Tristan Magnuson, Skyler Meads, the head coach at Troy. Now, Jimmy Bellinger's the pitching coach with Backage at Clemson. Chris Cates is at UCF as a coach. Chris Dominguez, the head coach at Bellarmine. I mean, that team, Derek Alfonso's coaching in high school. Greg Del George is coaching in high school. Uh, Logan Johnson was coaching in high school. Logan's such a good kid, got inducted into our Hall of Fame. You know, the list just goes on and on. And Nick Solak was always fun to talk to. And, I mean, Josh Rogers. I, I could just go on and on. You know, that's one thing about Dan and Coach Lamonis, Coach Snyder, and everybody that's really been involved with his staff is they just they don't recruit a lot of bad kids. And if they do make a mistake here and there, they usually don't last because – Teammates don't put up, that's not the standard. And so, yeah, you know, Christian Napchik is just, he's so awesome to be around. And, you know, Jack Payton's a little quiet, but he's fun. Tate Keener's got a great personality. You know, the, the, the team we have in place right now, I mean, Isaac Humphrey, you talk about a guy that's just got kind of a big league aura, the way he carries himself in interviews and just around the game. If that kid were the next Adam Duvall in the big leagues, I wouldn't be shocked at all. And so, it's just they they teach these young men how to become better baseball players, but they also teach them how to be gentlemen and how to treat the game right and how to treat people right. And one thing I love about it is as we get into these pro organizations and even summer ball in these leagues, 
you know, people can't stop talking about the fact that, man, you can tell when it's a Louisville kid because they do things the right way. Man, that's so gratifying. Which, by the way, Aaron, you talk about it. Uh, congratulations to Chad Green. A little two-year deal with the Blue Jays, I believe I read earlier. So that's exciting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Another you know, good Matt and, I, Matt and I talk about it all the time, you know, and you just hit it right there, that we don't really recruit any bad kids. Everybody has that that Louisville personality. And so that's really awesome to hear, you know, that long that long list of names. I'm sure you could have kept going for another 10 or 15 left, minutes. On I left a bunch of them off, no question. You know, I've been doing this for, I guess, three or four years with uh, Mike over at Card Chronicle and got to know a lot of the players and coaches and, you know, their families over the, over the years. And... <laughs> every time you talk to one of them, it's like you, they're just so nice. They're so welcoming. They just, it's just like a family and you, you can tell that, like you said, they're just Louisville guys, um, love their families. Uh, you know, they reach out with, you know, stuff just to kind of talk about the program and stuff. They're just, uh, just really good people to be around. And you can tell there's a certain person that, you know, coach McDonald and the staff are recruiting and you, you definitely see it when you're talking with them. Well, and it just you, you they 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 put the bar so high that you don't you don't have any right to come in here and think you can act any other way. And I, I don't say that to be callous, but what what makes a seventeen year old think that he he needs to do anything other than the way things have been done? You know, one of the most remarkable things about that 07 team, I don't, I don't know how closely you guys have followed games, but you know we play the old three o'clock, you know, midweek against Murray state on a Tuesday and I'd go straight to the ballpark. So, you know, I'd grab a breakfast sandwich or something go to the yard and be there at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock. And as the guys trickled out, it falls, the responsibility falls on someone to set the field for BP. So you got to put up an L screen at first, got to put up the L screen at at third. You got to put up the dual screen behind second base for the bucket you got to put screens up down the lines if they're doing the buckets there. Got to put up the L screen and the and the slope for the the BP pitcher, and you got to bring the turtle out. And you know, it doesn't take a ton of time or effort, but it's work. It's not easy, and it's kind of a pain in the ass. You know, it's it's not fun. There's no glory. Nobody's watching that 07 team. It was Logan Johnson and Chris Cates every day, first on the field, setting up the field for BP. It's just what they did. That and that was Dan's first year. And, you know, that was, and that was where the standard was set. This is how we carry ourselves. This is how we do it. So it's always fascinating to me to see what guys want to step up and play that role. And the beauty of it is the coaches don't necessarily have to do the work because when you get the right people, you know, I didn't even mention Alex Benellis. I mean, I love that Alex Benellis and he's a guy that wasn't very vocal, but he just led by example. Henry Davis got a little more vocal as he got older, but same way, like, I'm going to show you how to do things the right way. And if you care to pay attention, you will. But but every guy that's had three, even four years in the program, they're always there to take somebody under their wing. And and Dan can give you a, you know, it's almost like the, what do they do? The wheel of suck where you can pattern everybody beat somebody so you can do the entire league or the entire nation. It's that same wheel, except it's, this guy took this guy under his wing and he was taken under his wing by this guy, you know, every single guy. And if you guys ever attend the banquet, I'll ask, you know, who, who took, took you under the wing. There's always somebody, you know, for Reed Detmers, maybe it was a Brandon McKay. You just, you just never know on a recruiting visit, you know? So it's, it's beautiful because the coaches maybe had to do it initially, 
But once that culture was in place, then it was just how the players made sure that everybody knew how to be a Louisville Cardinal. I think that's big too, because as you know, Louisville has this program has grown over the years and gotten bigger and more popular. Our recruiting footprint has expanded larger territories than it used to be. You know, so when these guys come in from further away, they're a little more intimidated. They don't know anybody. All they know is, you know, baseball. That's it. So to have a mentor right there in your program that's an upperclassman to kind of take you under your wing or under their wing. And uh, like you said, a lot of times they don't have to really talk. It's it's their actions and what they do when, you know, the cameras aren't on. And I think that's big. And that's that's just a standard that Dan has set. Yeah. And I don't I don't take any ownership of, you know, perpetuating the culture. But at the same time, I, you know, I'm always willing to talk to freshmen and ask how classes are going and ask what they're up to. And, you know, if the conversation gets more in depth, one thing I always like to share is if you look at that outfield wall and the All-Americans, it's not a who's who of our big leaguers. Like Adam Duvall's not on the wall. You know, it's a who's who of the guys that put in the work. The common thread with all those guys, they obviously had some level of talent, but they all put in the extra work. Like Nick Solak wasn't nicknamed the robot because he just fell out of bed and hit. It's because he was in the hack shack all the time. Henry Davis, all the time. You know, all of these guys put in the work. One of the great success stories at Louisville is Justin Amlong. You know, his nickname was Jammer. Jammer was a catcher at St. X. And he walked on at Louisville. And he was Big East Pitcher of the Year. Like his Friday night stats were, were sick. And so I always try to convey that message to him. You know, there, there are things you control. There are things you can't control. We, not all of us are Brendan McKay. You know, Brendan could, you know, roll out of bed, eat cornflakes, and then throw a two-hitter and hit a jack. You know, that's just who he was. And it's not to say that he didn't put in the work. But he was – that's why they called him the unicorn. He was on a different level. But – he also had to work hard to get there because you can't be a two-way guy and not work hard. So uh, I, I always tried to, to, to throw that their way so they could understand. And that's one thing that man, Alex Pinellas was, like I said, another example. That guy worked his backside off. And I think this team now that you see, you know, Mark Payton, obviously, Mark Payton, I say, Jack Payton had an older brother, Mark and Matt, mm -hmm. that kind of showed him the way. And in addition to the teammates and guys that were able to pass that down and along to that three-headed monster of Humphrey, Benson, and Beard, like those guys put in the work their true freshman year then when they weren't even playing. And they, you ask any of them, and they're, it's guys like Ben Ellis and Davis that kind of inspired them to put in that kind of work. Well, Sean, we've talked a lot of baseball. We're going to switch gears a couple – I know this is all fun, but just a couple off the field fun questions for you right. to, to end this thing. Um, if you've listened listened to Sean talk, or if you followed him on Twitter over the years, you've learned that um, he's very passionate about Halloween candy and the candy that he gives out. And Aaron and I were talking about it the other day. It's, I guess first off, how'd that come about? And then do you have any stories about that? Or you know, he gives yeah. out full size candy bars. So instead of giving out little snack size, he gives out full size candy bars every year. Uh, just tell us how that came about and why you still do that. You know, it, I, it started when we were here in Louisville and I'm not even sure why it just, I, I think it was one of those things where, you know, we, we'd go to Sam's or Costco or wherever members and, you know, my wife would get the giant fun size bag and, you know, it was $12 and it was plenty of candy for everybody. And I think one year I said to her, I was like, what, how much of the, like a box of full bars. And so we went, it was like 17, $21, you know, for like 30 full size bars. And I'm like, so you're telling me that if I spend 50 bucks 
I can put a giant smile on 50 kids, you know, 60 kids faces over the course of the night. I'm like, yeah, we're doing that. <laughs> like, I remember just being excited about getting a candy bar. I liked, let alone, I, I don't remember getting a lot of full bars. So I was like, you know, let's, you know, I don't decorate the house. I don't do a big haunted house. I don't have gravestones. I don't have eerie music and cobwebs. We just <laughs> buy full bars. And it's so funny because you just love the fact that kids at, at up to a certain age have zero filters. And mm -hmm. so usually they get to the door. I'm kind of a jerk. I make sure they say trick or treat, which probably isn't fair because some of them might just be deathly fear, afraid of talking to anybody, let alone somebody that looks horrible like I do when I'm not even in costume. But I'll just drop the bowl and I'll say, grab, grab the one you like. What do you want? You know, and we try to have a variety. I know that everybody loves the Reese's, but you just never know. Somebody wants that almond joy or something like that. And it's just funny because probably one out of every six kids at a certain age, they'll take one step off of our front porch, turn around and look at their parents and go, Oh my God, they have full bars. <laughs> and the joy that that can bring you is you can't measure it. 40 bucks, 50 bucks. Holy cow. Let just, you know, can you imagine if everybody did that? I'm great with trick or treat. I'd probably start trick or treating again. <laughs> I say every time you post it, every Halloween you post it on Twitter. I'm like, I need to find out where Sean lives, and I need I need to go get me a candy bar. <laughs> well, I tell you what, even if you were to just start by getting ten bars, you know, it's it's a fun thing to do, and it's yep. totally worth it. And I know everybody has different financial, you know, situations and means, but just those little pay it forward things, you know, it's it's it warms the heart. It's kind of like giving to a charity in a weird sort of way. Yeah, it goes a long way with the kids. It definitely does. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So we're going to keep with the food theme here. And oh. I want to I say, I think it was the 21 season, a common theme in the booth uh, with you and, and some people on Twitter was cereal. Mm. I, I got to know, what is what is your go-to cereal? Well, I don't think we ever sell the debate. No, we didn't. And I think the core of the debate was that I – I used to create a questionnaire that we gave to the players. They filled it out. And that's how we write their bios in the media mm -hmm. guide. And Garrett Wall took over for me. And Garrett basically kept the same questionnaire. Steven took over for Garrett. Steven Williams, he kind of has the same questionnaire. It's basically the one I templated back in 2000. And one of the questions is favorite cereal. And it was astonishing to me. It got to a point where like 80% of the team's favorite cereal was Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Mm -hmm. Well, full disclosure, I've never had it. And I love cereal. But I cinnamon and milk just somehow never really hit me. But I got to the peer pressure of people on Twitter. I was like, oh, I got to try it. So I, my wife was going to the store. I was like, all right, get one of those little, you know, plastic cups and I'll, I'll try it. So I tried it. But I, um, I, I like the sugared cereals, like a good bowl of Frosted Flakes. Phenomenal. Uh, I could maybe occasionally do some Fruit Loops. But I, I've in my older age, I kind of lean on the Rice Krispies, Cheerios, and Rice Checks. I think would be kind of the, the triumvirate. But the Dark Horse, I love a good bowl of granola as long as it doesn't have any raisins in it. No fruit and cereal. Uh, my my go-to would also be Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah. I'm a big I'm a big um, what is it the Reese's Puffs cereal? Yeah. Now now having cereal for breakfast and eating cereal are two different things because. My son actually just went out a couple nights ago and bought a bag of Reese's and bought a or a box of Reese's and a box of uh, Cookie Crisp. Now, if you just want a little dry snack, same thing, Quaker Oat Squares, another really good dry snack. So it, there's definitely some dry cereal snacking, but I hadn't had the Reese's. Those, those are pretty good. Yeah, the, they're uh, they're definitely underrated in my opinion. One of my one of my top two or three. 
but I, I eat cereal embarrassingly fast because it's it's I like I like my beer cold. I like my cereal crunchy. I'm the so same way. If cereal gets soggy, you, you lost me. Yeah. So it, just keep your fingers out of the way when I get into a bowl <laughs> of cereal because I'm going to destroy it. <laughs> Aaron, what's your go to since we're on the topic? Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, I, probably either mini wheats or a cinnamon toast crunch. I, I do okay. like cinnamon toast crunch. And Sean, I got to know what your thoughts were on that when you tried it. I, I didn't hate it, but again, the whole okay. cin- cinnamon and milk thing uh, it wasn't hitting me. But what's weird is I love cinnamon rolls. And I actually, I do a majority of our cooking. And uh, I've got a knockoff recipe of Cinnabon cinnamon rolls. And mm. oh, man, they, they are phenomenal. So, yeah, it's not a not that I don't like cinnamon, but I don't know. I just, it, it didn't hit me. And I, again, I didn't hate it. And if I'm at a hotel and they've got the you know cereal bar and that's the best option i need it again i think you're right though when you're talking about cereal there's two different types of cereal like morning cereal is different than like like if it's not a not a 10 o'clock at night and i'm just wanting something before i go to bed like almost like an ice cream like i can go for a cinnamon toast crunch because yeah. the sugar in it's sweet but i don't really want that in the morning first thing when no. i wake up well and it's kind of and that's the perfect thing when you're like on the road trips with the baseball team is you, you might eat a bowl of rice krispies but then when you're walking out, you might grab the box of Fruit Loops to go ahead and crush, you know, between innings. So, yeah, I hear you there. I, and also, I'm one of the weird people that loves oatmeal. So I can go for a bowl of oatmeal, too. Yeah. Guilty. I love oatmeal. Well, Sean, we just want to thank you for coming on tonight. I know we took up enough of your time already. We're uh, getting just a couple weeks away from the baseball season. Hopefully, like we said, we can have you on about this time um, here in a couple months celebrating a national championship. So looking forward to that. Um, but again, just appreciate your time tonight and coming on and chatting with us for a little bit. Absolutely. I thought maybe we'd get to it. I teased it. I feel like I need to follow through on it. That that first baseman I was talking about is a young man by the name of Ryan McCoy. Yes. And uh, he was a third-team All-American, hit 435 with 17 home runs from Frankfurt, Illinois. He was at Wabash Valley College. And uh, in a scrimmage last weekend, He hit the ball four times and they were all above 100 miles an hour on exit velo. And the top one was 115 miles an hour and it went 443 feet. And so uh, the crazy thing was it wasn't as high as the scoreboard. This kid is the hardest hitting line drive hitter I've seen in a long time. Patrick Forbes, one of the freshmen, uh, two-way player, could be in the back end of the bullpen playing some infield, being a DH. And as good as Devin Hairston, Adam Haley, Chris Cates, those guys were defensively at short. Gavin Keelan, kid from Wisconsin, mm-hmm. is a wizard with the glove. And I know you got to look at them in the fall, but there's a lot of young mm-hmm. guys to be excited about. I don't want to put a lot of pressure on Ryan McCoy, but this was a kid who was like 5'9", his senior year of high school, I'm understanding, went kind of under-recruited. And now he's about 6'5", and he is a monster. I think the most impressive thing about McCoy to me is he's 6'4", 6'5", 220. And I think last year he stole like 18 bases. He did. That's exactly how many he stole. And To be that size and still 18 bags, that is – Aaron and I were talking about earlier today. That is just – that's unheard of to be that size and be able to steal that many bases. Yeah, he is – he's just an exit velo machine. And seriously – when you're talking, you know, Major League Baseball, 95 is a hard hit ball. Mm-hmm. He hit four balls. I think they were all over 104, if I'm not mistaken. One of them was an out. But this kid, I mean, I know we've got a lot of power to make up for. I don't know if he can threaten Chris Dominguez's mark, 
but uh, I think anywhere between 10 and 25 home runs is a reality for this kid. And uh, it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm excited. I've seen him play, you know, just very briefly in the time that we've had since he's been here. But I'm just super excited to see how his game's going to translate this year because, I mean, every time the guy steps in the box, I mean, there's a threat that he's going to hit a home run. No question. And those players are fewer and further between these days. We had a few last year. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun to have another one this year. Well, again, Sean, thanks for coming on tonight. We appreciate your time and uh, look forward to hearing you here on February 17th. My pleasure. We'll see you at the ballpark. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. Again, we just want to thank Sean Moth for coming on tonight and spending some time with Aaron and myself to chat a little Louisville baseball. Aaron, I think I could listen to Sean talk like all night long. He's just so polished and he has so many stories. He's, you know, been around the program for over 20 years he's seen a little bit of everything the highs and the lows and i think he just brings a lot of insight that um you know most of us just don't have access to no i 100 percent agree i had a had a lot of fun and hopefully we can have him on a little more frequently here moving forward because i certainly wouldn't mind hearing from him him again yeah definitely and again just uh thanks for uh, sean for coming on tonight I, I think i said it earlier we will have another episode out before the season starts on february 17th just kind of a primer of more of an in-depth of what this team is going to look like position breakdown kind of what to expect and things like that so in the meantime aaron and i will be Keeping up with everything on our respective websites out on cardchronicle.com. You can find me there on Twitter at Matt Sefkovic. And Aaron, where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me writing at the State of Louisville or on Twitter. You can find me at AJTurn22 or you can follow the alumni account at Louisville Baseball Alumni Report. And the way we end every single one of our podcasts, it could not be more appropriate than this single episode. In the words of Sean Moth, we'll see you at the ballpark.